It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States' relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin. Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Lots to get through, including maybe, maybe some new talk of some compromise on the economic stimulus. We'll get the latest from Capitol Hill and a conversation with Senator Tina Smith, a Democrat from Minnesota. We talk all things on the economic stimulus. Matt Bennett, co-founder of Third Way, Democratic strategist and former Clinton White House deputy assistant, will weigh in with Alex Vogel, the CEO of the Vogel Group and former chief counsel for Senate Majority Leader Bill Friss. All of that, plus Congressman Trey Hollingsworth, Republican representing Indiana's 9th District. I got to figure out what's going on with these negotiations. You know, I mean, are they going to get a deal? Are they not going to get a deal? And I was at the White House earlier today uh, talking with Adam Bowler. He's the guy, the U.S. Intelligence Development Finance Corporation CEO, the guy who at the White House negotiated that Kodak deal. Say cheese. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Talk of the town remains that potential economic stimulus deal. And I was able to recently catch up with Senator Tina Smith. She is a Democrat from Minnesota. And I asked her point blank, are we going to get a deal? Take a listen to what she told me. Well, I'm in favor of bipartisan negotiations to get a deal done, and I feel real urgency, especially having just been back in Minnesota, where I talk to people whose unemployment benefits are about to run out, people who are worried about being evicted from their apartments and their homes, 287,000 Minnesotans on unemployment insurance. I feel a real sense of urgency to move forward. So my criticism is that we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. We need to get this job done. What would you like to see included in this? Should, is the unemployment benefit issue a red line for Democrats? I think it's extremely important that we don't dramatically cut back on unemployment insurance. I think we ought to be starting from what is in the um, House Heroes Act. I like what's in there about unemployment insurance. I think that we also need to really think about getting resources to schools and childcare centers. It's kind of this sleeper issue that people aren't aware of, but Childcare systems uh, centers in this country are on the verge of collapsing, and we already had a shortage before the COVID pandemic struck us. So that's another one of my big priorities. I got to ask you on the issue of small businesses, because so many small businesses, they needed the cash, they needed the liquidity 
yesterday. And unfortunately, they're in this situation where the larger companies are, are able to, to get access to this capital, uh, but these small businesses are really hurting. What needs to be included to make sure that these small businesses are micro-targeted so that they can get the, the uh, funds that they need? Well, you're absolutely right. And if you narrow it down even more to look at the impact of COVID on uh, women and minority-owned businesses, it is dramatic. And the lack of access to capital for those businesses, again, has been a systemic problem that has been made even worse by COVID. So what I think, and Democrats are, in, are pitching and working on this, is to have money that is specifically targeted to those businesses. We need to also get dollars out to these community development financing institutions. So these are financing institutions that have deep relationships in communities of color and are uh, trusted for providing loans and also technical assistance. We need to work more with them in order to get dollars out to these small businesses that are really in desperate shape. Let me follow up on this, uh, on that point in particular, because uh, the, the bank's argument would be that, you know, they're everywhere and that by they have the infrastructure and the support in order to provide the funds where they need them. How do, how do you target the funds, and not in a political sense, but how do you make sure that the infrastructure is there in the financial system for these smaller sized uh, financial institutions so that they can get the, the, the money in the right place? Yeah. Well, for, for one thing, you need to look at how these loans flow and you need to hold these organizations accountable for providing loans to small businesses and also to minority and black and brown and indigenous businesses. You know, Vice President Biden today released his equity plan. And this is one of the things that he focused on. How do we get capital to these businesses so that they can create jobs, they can build wealth, they can create opportunity in their communities. So one is by making sure that the Community Reinvestment Act, which supports investment in uh, lower income communities get resources. Another way is to make sure that these community financing institutions can be a conduit for getting funding out. And then a third way is to make sure that the Small Business Administration, which typically loans to uh, black and brown businesses at a much lower rate, that they are uh, getting those numbers up so that the money is getting to those businesses. In your state, you've got rural agricultural uh, mm -hmm. portions uh, of the state, and you also have some, some big cities, you know. Uh, and I'm curious that when the former vice president, presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden, when he talks about infrastructure, it's got to include 5G, does it not? And not just to benefit the cities, but to also benefit those rural yeah. communities. If you want to hear the number one issue that I hear from my constituents in small towns and rural communities, it is the need for rural broadband, high-speed internet access that they can afford. Right now, in the midst of this pandemic, that's how you get your health care. It's how you do your remote learning for education. It's often how you do your job. And farmers know this better than anybody because they rely so much on uh, um, internet technology in order to run their farms and run their equipment. So this is a really important priority now. And as we think about how to build back uh, better, as Vice President Biden says, investment in broadband in rural areas is going to be extremely important. And finally, we're coming up on the 100th anniversary of women getting the right to vote in our country. Of course, Joe Biden has said that he is going to pick uh, a female vice president. But as we approach this, this milestone in our country, uh, I, I would be very curious to, to hear your, uh, what this moment means to you uh, as an elected official in the United States Senate. Well, you know, I think of the long line of women leaders. I think about my grandmother, Avis Eiden Nason, who was born in 18. 18 
1898, who was uh, just coming of age when women won the right to vote, when the suffragettes uh, marched on Woodrow Wilson to demand the right to vote. And it is a fulfillment of the promise of this country uh, that everybody has an equal opportunity to raise their voice in this democracy and speak out for what they believe in, starting with the vote. So here I am in the United States Senate, uh, and still there are not enough women in the United States Senate or in the U.S. House or in state houses around the country. So I think about uh, women's representation and also what a huge role women are going to play in this upcoming election. That was my conversation with Senator Tina Smith, a Democrat from Minnesota. And I got to say, when she brought up her grandmother, I thought of my, my late grandmother, Mimi, uh, who worked in polls legitimately in every election she grew up in scranton pennsylvania you can check out that interview on bloomberg.com or by downloading the bloomberg business app uh, and of course on all of our different various platforms let's reset now my name is kevin cerilli i'm the chief washington correspondent for bloomberg tv and for bloomberg radio we've got a lot to get through let's get right to it with my colleague mario parker mario is of course the bloomberg white house reporter he was at he's you know with the president every single day asking him questions. Mario, what's your understanding of whether or not President Trump wants to get a deal by the end of the week or have at least a breakthrough with uh, Democrats up on the Hill? Well, he really wants to. Uh, he's been dispatching, of course, uh, Steve Mnuchin and um, uh, Chief of Staff uh, Mark Meadows uh, up to the Hill almost daily to try to uh, carve something out. Um, I'm sure that uh, the numbers, the dire economic numbers that came out today, uh, did nothing to dissuade him of uh, wanting to get something done and getting something done quickly. You know, I, I think that's a great point. And especially when we begin the news or begin the day with the news of the GDP estimates, I mean, let's just pull up the terminal now. The full scope of the pandemic's toll on the U.S. economy was on display Thursday when government officials reported that gross domestic products shrank the most on record in the second quarter and 17 million Americans claimed state unemployment benefits in mid-July. Wow. The GDP drop, an astounding 32.9% when annualized, was widely anticipated at this point, and the jobless claims figure was not. It, it, it really is, Mario, I think, uh, an unfortunate sign of the times, the economic data that's coming in in real time. And coming up, we're going to dive more into that. Uh, but it, 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 you know... Whether or not we get a breakthrough uh, by the by the end of the week, we're going to find out. Mario is going to stick around for us. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. My name is Kevin Cirilli. Congressman Trey Holling- Collingsworth is coming up next. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. At John Lewis's funeral earlier earlier today, former President Obama called for renewing the Voting Rights Act. You want to honor John? Let's honor him by revitalizing the law that he was willing to die for. This, that's what Obama said earlier today. This comes, of course, as this morning... The president tweeted out that 
he maybe wants the election day, November 3rd move, <laughs> Leader McConnell said, not happening. Uh, and in fact, it's been really the one area where Republicans and Democrats agreed on today is not moving the date of the election. Here's a history lesson for you, folks. I was dusting up on my constitutional knowledge. I don't know. I never really paid attention in school, but I probably shouldn't have just said that. But you have to go back. You got to go back to 1845 in order to, to look at the election laws. 1845 is when they set the election laws and they picked uh what what is it the tuesday in november first or second tuesday in november first tuesday in november uh and it's november 3rd uh but 1845 they came up with that congress passed that law okay okay so you're with me but if you want to change the inauguration date and the swearing in you got to change the constitution so the fact that that happening when they can't even get a a, a deal with you ready for this? An astounding 32.9% GDP drop in the last quarter alone when annualized. 32.9% when annualized. And the almost 900,000 people increased in the number of people claiming continued benefits uh, or unemployment. I don't think they're changing the election, folks, but and I don't like to predict too much. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I am the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Mario Parker's on the line, my colleague uh, for the Bloomberg White House team. Mario, I don't think they're going to change the election. <laughs> no, I think you made the case very, very well of all the moving pieces going back uh, over a century now and then also up into the grid lot. Greg Lott that we, we see on a daily basis here now in Washington. You know, but I mean, then I, I say these things, and then I've got Christine Barada, our executive producer, looking at me saying, you really shouldn't predict, because if you think of the last couple of years <laughs> that have been going on, I mean, we I don't think any of us would, uh, at this point, right, anything's possible. Um, if you would have told me I'd be wearing a mask every day I'd, uh, a couple of months ago, I don't think that I would have believed you. Um, okay, let's talk more about, about the deal. Let's get into the weeds a little bit, Mario, because... Because I talk to Democrats and they say, you got to fund, you've got to fund state and local government. And if you want to prevent these furloughs from happening at the end of the year, and they're calling for like a trillion dollars, which is the total size of of McConnell's bill. There's, I mean, it's not like they're a couple hundred mil away from each other. They're a trillion dollars away. Right. Right. No, absolutely. There's there's that. There's the, of course, the... The, uh, the unemployment uh, benefits uh, that's also um, at, uh, an, an issue. And then, of course, um, liabilities for businesses that Mitch McConnell really wants, um, some type of uh, liability cover from businesses that uh, could be sued during uh, this pandemic. And when you talk to, to sources at the White House, do they feel that they have any sort of leverage in negotiating with Democrats? Because you know this, Mario. We talked to the same people up on the Hill. Republicans are saying, hey, Secretary Mnuchin, Mark Meadows, if you want to be in on these negotiations, we want to make sure that we're there, too. Because they're look- the Democrats are looking at these polls and they feel they Speaker Pelosi truly feels emboldened. So do they feel that they have any leverage when they're negotiating with folks? Right. Well, the the White House is very eager eager right now, and perhaps more eager than we've seen in quite a while, to uh, find places where they have an agreement with Democrats. So read it to that what you will in terms of leverage. 
and where they think their leverage is. But they have been trying to find places where there is some type of overlap where they can find agreement uh, between the two parties, which is very uh, or has been very uncharacteristic. Okay, and and switching gears now, um, you have been covering the coronavirus in terms of uh, how the president has said warnings against anti anti malaria drug were political. What's the latest? Uh, you know, coming up on the program, we're going to hear from the deal maker who who uh, had that seven hundred and sixty five million dollar loan to Kodak to transform and launch their pharmaceutical arm. But the president has been talking a lot about various treatments for. For COVID nineteen, what do we know? Right, no, the the latest, at least today, he stayed on message with uh, convalescent plasma um, and other um, other therapeutics that may uh, have uh, a stronger chance scientifically or have stronger backing scientifically. He did deviate, as you mentioned earlier this week, and waded back or relapsed, if you will, into uh, talking about hydroxychloroquine, uh, even though uh, some of his top doctors say that it's unproven in terms of treating the, the coronavirus. But at least for today, he was back on message over at the Red Cross um, speaking about uh, other uh, therapeutics and possible therapeutics that um, have uh, more scientific problems. Do you think that there we're going to hear any type of major, I mean, everyone's been talking about in the, in, in the Beltway press about the change in tone or whatnot, but do you think mm-hmm. that we're going to hear any major policy uh, surprise or, or any type of reset? Because it just feels like they're, they're, they're dragging along at this point. And unless there's a breakthrough on the economic stimulus, I'm not sure that anything can change the trajectory do they think this is their last chance to do that, or do they think they still have more time? Right. Well, the the, the thinking is there's still more time on the clock. Um, that's uh, the thinking is uh, optimism. Um, but they're also, aside from the economic stimulus, uh, they're really banking on more therapeutics in the pipeline, uh, better therapeutics. I mean, you even heard, um, again, you heard today President Trump on the same page publicly with uh, Dr. Fauci, who also said that they expect therapeutics to continue to get better going into the fall. So that could be uh, something that could be a, a bit of a game changer, short of a vaccine, but just better therapeutics. It's it's fascinating because coupled with the data on the virus and then the one-two punch of the GDP drop and the unemployment filings mm-hmm. from this morning, it, it really, I think, underscores, and this is what the economists are saying, that the collapse is being undermined by the resurgence of this virus. And it's, it's vis- if you look at California, which of course is the most populous state, if you look at California, that really might reflect some of these renewed shutdown and job losses. And I mean, it, it even, unfortunately, could really suggest that third quarter GDP might show a sharp initial rebound and give the appearance of a strong recovery, but that the gains could be short lived. And I've said this a million times on the program, but it's that it's that that swoosh recovery, you know, that 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 you could have a really strong third quarter, but then it could kind of teeter off in the fourth quarter. But the timing of that incline and the timing of that dramatic spike and the economy doing well again in the third quarter, whether that's around November 3rd, could really, really impact the, uh, the pace of the, of the economic, or the dynamics, rather, of the, of the race. All right, empty out your notebook. We've got about 90 seconds left. What's one thing on your radar, Mario Parker? 
Well, you just set it up perfectly, which is the fact that part of this change in tone is the fact that the White House realizes people have to adhere to the social distancing guidelines, whether it's mask wearing or the hygiene, in order to keep this economy afloat or to rebound at least. So that's part of this change in tone and this seriousness around mask wearing and some of these guidelines because, hey, otherwise there's no fun and there's no recovery and there's no economic, there's no sports or anything like that if we can't get this thing under control. You know, Tom Keene was blasting earlier, you know, he was mad that the Red Sox are doing bad. And I said, Seriously, Tom, at least we have a, at least we have games. At least we have games. All right, Mario Parker, Bloomberg White House reporter. Thanks for checking in with me, buddy. Great reporting, great work. So appreciative of all of the time and, of course, your efforts uh, on that team. Coming up next, much more to talk about. Panel joins me. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Will they or won't they get to a deal? The latest from Capitol Hill. We check in with one congressman at the center of it all. Plus, an economist one-two punch, devastating economic data showing the severity of the economic impacts on the nation's economy. And all of that, plus an exclusive interview with the man behind Kodak's transformation into pharmaceuticals. I caught up with Adam Bowler, who was at, at the White House earlier today, uh, who walked me through exactly how the government did it. Lots to get through. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Uh, we got a lot to get through tonight, folks. You got the President Trump tweeting about trying to change the election. Did you see that? Just he was tweeting this out literally as some devastating economic data came through in the morning. And that's where we're going to begin, because I don't think they're going to change the date of the election. Leader McConnell came out with a statement, by the way, and said it's not it's not going to happen. Uh, they can't agree on much up on Capitol Hill, but they can agree that they don't want to change the date of the election. All right. So here's the bad news. The GDP dropped an astounding 32.9% when annualized, and that was anticipated. That was the GDP drop in the last uh, in the second quarter. The jobless claims figures, which I'm about to give you, were not anticipated. 900,000 increase in the number of people claiming continued benefits, unemployment benefits, providing the latest evidence that the nascent recovery from the collapse is being undermined by the resurgence of the virus across much of the United States. Still, no word yet on uh, a deal up on Capitol Hill. And we are going to get to the prospects of that particular deal coming up when I interview Congressman Trey Hollingsworth, who's a Republican from Indiana, uh, later on this hour. But we begin with our panel. 
Matt Bennett, co-founder of Third Way, a Democratic strategist and former Clinton White House deputy assistant, and Alex Vogel, CEO of the Vogel Group, former chief counsel for Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist. Matt, I want to begin with you. You know, you hear, you, you see these numbers. I'm staring at the chart on my terminal, and Matt, I got to be really frank here. I, I don't. It, it's hard to comprehend the amount of pain that people and anxiousness that people are feeling around the country, the magnitude of this calamity, this economic calamity that we find ourselves in. And I'm wondering if there's a chance in you know where that those lawmakers on the Hill are going to get to a deal, Matt. Well, they better. Uh, I couldn't agree more about the the depth and, and breadth of the pain and the magnitude of this crisis. We're about to have 30 million people who are facing somewhere between a 50 and 100 percent pay cut uh, because Congress can't get its act together. And remember that these people are almost all of them unemployed or underemployed through no fault whatsoever of their own. And Matt, I have to interrupt you because something that we in the media don't talk enough about are the millions of Americans who who are are living without homes or who are not even in a system that haven't collected a penny – or resources at all during this because they're not even in it. So there's that crisis still that has been exacerbated during this as well. Go ahead, Matt. I apologize for interrupting. There is. No, no. I'm glad you did because it's an excellent point. The, the numbers that we're talking about are undercounts. The unemployment rate is a massive undercount of the amount of pain going on out there, people who have no resources whatsoever. And what we're, we're about to hit a cliff at the end of this month, not only do unemployment uh, extensions run out, but so do the uh, moratoriums on uh, people being evicted from their homes. So we are about to see a housing apocalypse in the United States as people with absolutely no way to pay their rent, no way, because there are no jobs and there's no way for them to work, are about to be put out on the street. If Congress does not get its act together, we are going to see the greatest calamity in Uh, American history, worse than anything we saw during the Depression, because that happened relatively slowly, and this is going to happen all at once. See, I think they're going to get to a deal. You know, I I I was talking with some sources today. I think it's a lot of drama, but I just think it's unfortunate because people are clinging right now to every single word coming out of Washington, D.C., and the prospects that they might get to do something. Alex Vogel, let's bring you in here. Alex, first of all, thanks for being here. And I got to be frank here. Do you think so many people right now are are staring at the the dizzying headlines that are coming out from businesses of all sizes that are unfortunately saying they might have to have layoffs at the end of the year or furloughs at the end of the year and i'm i'm looking at these negotiations and i'm thinking okay well one of the things they're negotiating over is potential tax credits to businesses if and keyword if they don't lay anybody off. How important is that, that that be agreed to in the final version of this, Alex? Look, uh, just to amplify uh, what Matt said uh, about the depth and breadth of this first, um, uh, if the 08 financial crisis was really a banker crisis, um, uh, this is a crisis for everybody. Uh, The new numbers certainly highlight that. And the reality is, it's not just, you know, there are a number of, of cliffs that are coming uh, as some of the early support programs and moratoriums uh, start to roll off, not to mention the fact that uh, things like commercial real estate and other things, uh, that cliff is still coming. Um, I think 
uh, you're going. I, I'm confident uh, there will ultimately be a deal. Uh, it's very hard to uh, to watch this process through the lens of of normal legislation and back and forth because nothing about this is normal. Um, uh, as John McCain once famously said, uh, "It's always darkest just before it's pitch black." Uh, I think you'll see a couple of. Uh, we have no deal. Everyone walks away moments here. Uh, but I do expect a resolution somewhere between uh, the McConnell trillion dollar number and the Pelosi three trillion dollar number. Uh, again, even saying that it's remarkable uh, that that's the, the scale at which we are talking. But the reality is that's the situation that we're in. Uh, and I think there is overwhelming uh, support uh, to do something. And while there was a brief period when you start to saw see uh, and hear from folks saying, well, maybe we need to wait and see how well we recover, um, I think we know the answer to that at this point. Uh, and clearly, direct intervention is needed, and I think will come. Alex, we got like a minute left, so I got to ask you this quick. And I hear you on the point that you know, when it, it's 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 always dark before it's pitch black. I, I hear you, but people can still trip over themselves when they can't see the light. And what I'm noticing in this coverage is a lot of grandstanding on both sides. And so my question to you, sir, is, is it wise? I mean, you're a Republican strategist. Is it wise for people like Senator Ted Cruz and Senator Rand Paul to maybe raise concerns about the deficit right now? But is it is it anything more than politics? I don't think it's pure politics. I think those are legitimate issues that, that people were raising even in the first round. But at the end of the day, uh, from a leadership perspective, uh, I think you have to uh, uh, put those arguments in the proper context of the situation uh, and realize that while uh, deficits and spending are long-term issues, we're not talking about long-term issues for Americans here. We're talking about 30-day, 60-day, 90-day issues. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I think it, it, there there is a time and a place for those arguments. I think you're going to hear a lot less of it in the, the next few days. All right. Coming up, panel stays more next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. 1845. I wasn't even alive then. 1845. You know who was president in 1845? Polk. James Polk, who actually shares a birthday with me. Not the year. But the November 2nd, Scorpio Polk! I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. The reason I bring up 1845 is because that was when they passed the law uh, for the election, election day, to be held on the first Tuesday every four years. And President Trump tweeted out today that maybe, maybe he wants to see that change. Leader McConnell said, no way. I uh, released a statement and said, not going to happen. Republicans and, and Democrats are agreeing on that. But here's where it gets interesting. So how, how would you hypothetically change the, the election? Well, Congress has the authority to do that. But then you got to change the Constitution because the Constitution says that inauguration and whatnot, that's where it is in the Constitution. So even if they were to move the election, they really have limited flexibility unless they want to also change 
the Constitution. How's that, Tom Keen, my my friend and mentor here at Bloomberg? How's that for a history lesson? I'm trying, Tom. I'm trying. Um, but the president also just tweeted out this hour right before he came on air. Let me pull it up. Where's my phone? Got to have the, the Twitter on the speed dial. Here it is. He tweeted out that he wants to have the election results Quote, must know election results on the night of the election, not days, months, or even years later. End quote. So he's, I mean, look, everybody's going to, not. there's going to be a dramatic increase in voting by mail this November 3rd because of the coronavirus and because many states are expanding access and whatnot to that. Not every state, but because there's so much of a dramatic increase, the post-market date, the post-marked date, post-market, post-marked date on the ballots could be on election day and that means that they could literally be in the mail the week of november 3rd which means you might not get a result folks if you stay up late like me like i always did every four years as a political junkie to watch the results uh joining us now people who are also political junkies ken vogel Ken is the CEO of the Vogel Group, former chief counsel for Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist, and Matt Bennett, co-founder of Third Way, Democratic strategist and former Clinton White House deputy assistant. Matt, wow, I mean, they're not going to change the election day, right? Zero chance of that. But let me tell you why Trump is doing it. He's doing it because he is losing. And he alone, among Republican uh, office seekers, has the opportunity to try to win despite losing. And here's how it would work. He would call into question the election results, because what he will say is, if the results aren't in on election night, or uh, whatever the results are on election night, that's it. And we're not going to wait around. Because what he's worried about is what's called the blue shift. There are scholars that have noticed that even in years where there isn't a lot of mail-in voting, the the numbers for Democrats go up uh, on the days after the election because provisional ballots come in and they tend to favor Democrats. That happened in Arizona in 2018 when the outcome of the election switched. Uh, Martha McSally, the Republican, was ahead on election night and ended up losing about 55,000 votes to the Democrat Kirsten Cinema. That kind of thing happens all the time. It happened in Pennsylvania in 2018. It's happened in the last three presidential elections uh, in Pennsylvania, which is one of the big swing states. So of he's going to be shouting. He's going to be shouting that the election's being stolen from him for the hours and days and maybe weeks after the election as the, as the election starts to swing towards Biden. And he is going to try to undermine faith in the popular vote and get state legislatures to send their electors to Washington for him instead of for the winner of the popular vote in their state, which they could do. It's going to make the hanging chads look like boring like compared to what right, yeah. I got. I got to issue an apology because I called Alex Vogel, Ken Vogel. Ken is from Philly and writes for the New York Times. And I have no idea why and, that slipped my mind. And I used to work with Ken it, at Politico. But Alex, I obviously know I'm talking to you and I apologize. You're not the only one who's made that mistake. Ken and I know each other. We had lunch this last year and I <laughs> joked that every time he writes a controversial story, I get hate mail. Um, or I've had people come up and say, I really don't like your brother very much. I'm like, well, I don't have one. Um, so uh, no apology needed. No, I no, Yeah, but it's, it's just so funny because I was, I was reading at the Times, had a great write-up. It was uh, Alex Burns who did a write-up on um, 
on the, the issue of, of, of mail-in voting and whatnot and changing the election. And I was thinking back to when I used to work with Burns and Vogel at Politico. Anyway, Alex Vogel. All right. I mean, I was speaking with Governor Hogan the other week about the prospects of mail-in voting. And now you've got the president really p- pushing this full throttle. Governor Hogan in Maryland, for example, has said, Okay, he's he's fine with mail-in voting, but he doesn't think that he's going to have to mail every single registered voter who doesn't ask for a mail-in ballot a ballot. What is the? It seems like there's a lot of divide right now. Not part, not as 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 thick as what's going on on the stimulus, but a lot of disagreement in terms of where Republicans and the concert and the Republican Party is with the issue of mail-in voting, and now the president, of course, throwing gasoline on the issue. Yeah, you know, at an earlier uh, time in my career, I was a full-time election lawyer uh, and actually was on the ground um, in Oregon immediately following uh, election night in 2000. Oregon was the first place uh, to go all vote by mail. Um, uh, it, it didn't go perfectly, um, but it, it, that's not to argue there's some inherent uh, flaw generally with allowing a vote by mail. The, the larger issue that I think we're going to run into um, is many states, not just because of the current pandemic, but it's a general trend, um, early voting, um, uh, be that uh, no-fault absentee, vote by mail, other things, has been going on for a long time and expanding. And so what that's meant is there's really no such thing as Election Day anymore. Um, I, there's election weeks. Um, and no matter how that goes, um, uh, two issues. One, uh, for those states who don't have those uh, processes in place now, um, very challenging to try and stand that up in time for the election. So I think nationwide vote by mail is not likely. Um, uh, it's just not. Um, uh, and uh, no matter who's president, uh, the the possibility of not really knowing definitively who the winner is um, uh, yeah. come you know four in the morning on election night is pretty likely. That's it's very likely. It is very 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 likely. That's the one thing I've learned from these conversations with Stacey Abrams and Governor Hogan. It is very likely that we're in for a rude awakening in the media and in the public for how we get our election results. More next, we check in with Congressman Hollingsworth. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. We're on standby. I actually literally just pulled down my mask. I ran to the uh, to get a, some water during the break and I sold the mask on. Have it. We're on standby. President Trump is uh, set to begin a news conference at 5 th- this half hour. I'll take you live to the White House when we get there. Some Sad news today. Herman Cain passed away, the former Republican presidential candidate and uh, former uh, chairman of of uh, one of the city's uh, federal reserves. Uh, joining us on the line, Congressman from Indiana, the great state 
of Indiana, Congressman Trey Hollingsworth, Republican representing Indiana's 9th District. Hey, welcome back to the program. Herman Cain, sad news, sad, sad news. Absolutely. One of many Americans that we've lost to the coronavirus and certainly want to make sure that we get to the end of this as quickly and as safely as possible so that we can stop losing great Americans. All right, Congressman Hollingsworth, take us up to inside of the negotiations. What are y'all fighting about over there, up there on the Hill? And and are we actually going to get to a deal? Is there going to be a breakthrough? Take us into the weeds, because we, people want to know. Absolutely. Well, look, these are very, very large and important bills. So there's a lot of points to discuss, a lot of points to negotiate, a lot of points to reconcile between the $3.5 trillion that Democrats in the House want to see spent and the roughly trillion dollars that Senate Republicans came up with over the last couple of days. So there's a lot to reconcile on this bill, things like unemployment benefits, things like liability protection, things like further stimulus for businesses to retain and perhaps even grow their employment bases. So I think there's a lot to discuss in here. And what I continue to tell my colleagues is I certainly see, especially in light of the GDP number we witnessed this morning, that there's need for this. But we want to make sure that we get more value than the price that we pay in value in ensuring that the American economy and this recovery continues going forward. And I want to make sure that we get more of the value than the price that we're going to pay in terms of the added deficit that we'll see this year because of the spending. So let me ask you about the deficit, because I, I hear you on the deficit concerns. I think a lot of Republicans, especially uh, uh, who have come up through these various crises, they are concerned about uh, uh, spending. But I mean, right now, it almost feels when when the unemployment is what it is, and then you've got the GDP drop, 32.9% when annualized in the second quarter. I mean, uh, uh, so many families are just hanging on right now, Congressman. I know you know that. I'm not trying to get on a soapbox, but I think a lot of people are so anxious over the prospects of keeping their job if they're fortunate enough to have one and, and also staying safe. And it, it almost feels to the, the magnitude of the budget and the, and the amount of money, it almost seems not as important, but it is important. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Look, it's hard to weigh the balance of the long-term challenge of a growing structural federal budget deficit with the very clear and present health dangers, the very clear and present economic dangers that we are combating here and now. But I think it's our job as legislators, as policymakers, to think about both of those and weigh the risks to both of those in the actions, in the policies that we implement. And look, I hear you. Every single day I talk to American families that are struggling to get by, that are worried about making their next mortgage payment, worried about paying their rent. I talk to American businesses that are really worried about how this impact on their sales is going to translate to their great workforce, is going to translate to the next generation of American innovation. I want to make sure that we help every single one that we can, but I also want to make sure we do it by thinking about what the biggest return on investment for the federal government is. Because ultimately, I not only owe Americans the best possible answer for today's crises, but also avoiding future fiscal crises. All right. I want to ask you about, you know, you're, you're a member of the subcommittee on investor protection, entrepreneurship and capital markets on the financial services, right. uh, on the financial services committee. I want to ask you about tax credits that are being discussed for businesses of all different sizes uh, as part of this proposal that would uh, say, hey, you can have a tax credit. You can, you can get your taxes cut a bit, but you got to keep people on the payroll. You got to not furlough employees or fire anybody by the end of the year. Can, can you assure me that if that happens, if that's tucked into the bill, that people aren't going to lose their jobs if these companies accept the tax credits? 
Right. Well, there has to be a robust monitoring system. Ultimately, the last thing I want to see for taxpayers is essentially through the tax code, give companies money that they otherwise would have paid in taxes to the U.S. Treasury and then not follow through on their obligations attached to that money. So there has to be robust monitoring after the fact to make sure they are following through. And look, for those taxpayers that are concerned about this, I certainly understand that. But the federal government's question is, are we going to pay this out through unemployment benefits or can we keep those employees attached to their employers and still pay something, hopefully less than employment, unemployment benefits, to ensure that those workers remain employed, remain skilled, remain getting a paycheck. And I think that's really, really important work, not only for the employer and for the U.S. government fiscal situation, but also for the employee in retaining those skills that they've built up over the career. We have seen more and more that the longer you out of the workforce, the more decay in your skill set exists, and it's harder for you to then get a job. So... That's what I want to know is because everyone's talking about the how to how to rebuild from a structural standpoint are you in your conversations with Democrats in particular congressman are you noticing that there might actually be some areas of structural common ground so that whoever's in the White House come next year that there's a groundwork and a foundation to build upon for this recovery, because it is going to take so long. Absolutely. I think you're exactly right. Look, the GDP number this morning was astounding. It's terrifying. It's, it's terrifying. Large, yeah, terrifying. The three times the largest single quarter contraction since World War II. I mean, this is really terrifying. It's terrifying to you, to economists, to American families all the way across the country. We know this is going to take time. We know this is going to go across this election. So I think there are areas where we and Democrats can agree, can come together and say, here is the best use of taxpayer money to ensure that we engender further economic growth. This is what I'm about. This is about bringing business sense to Washington. And I believe on a return on capital. Right? We need to make sure that programs that maybe even worked two or three months ago that are now becoming stale and seeing less demand, let's take the residual funds there and redeploy them elsewhere that might engender the next leg up in this economic growth. I want to make sure that at every single point we are doing what's right for American families, for American enterprises, for the American economy, but also for the American taxpayer. And I think you hit the nail on the head in balancing those objectives and making sure we're building a consensus across the aisle so that this is an enduring effort to get the economy going, not one that is starts and stops fits of effort and then stopping throughout the course of this election cycle. Uh, Congressman Trey Hollingsworth, we just got the two-minute warning, so if I interrupt you on the next question, it's because I got a toss to President Trump in the press conference. So, you know, I didn't realize this. Your district is where John Mellencamp was born? Indeed. Wow. Or Indiana. And so really proud of so many Hoosiers and that one especially. Wait, I got a question. What's your favorite Mellencamp song? Well, I tell you what, if I told you that, I would uh, anger a lot of people that believe his best songs are elsewhere. And so what? that's the problem. You pick one, and then the camp that thinks the other one is even better gets angry at you. <laughs> I have one. Listen, I'm from Delco, so I can, I can wade into this, uh, into this. I like Ain't Even Done With The Night. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.